Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bird's Eye Astrology Podcast. I am one of your hosts. I am Arthur Lipbonowitz. I'm your other host, Margaret Keppel, for the day. We have a third host, but he's not feeling very well at the moment, so Nate will not be joining us this time. Very sad. We'll miss him dearly. We love him. We will try not to make too much fun of him while he's not here. <laughs> we may make a little fun of him. <laughs> so he can't be a part of this podcast without getting made fun of a little bit, you mm. know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've got the two Mercury and Aries running the show today. <laughs> you don't have the steady grounding influence of Nate yes. in the room today. So, So if you don't follow us on social media... For the, like, uh, three of our 12 followers who don't follow us on social media, you may be wondering why we didn't do a second episode in March. You may not be wondering too much if you listen to the March forecast. <laughs> it was yeah. a pretty bad Mercury retrograde. And yeah. we are a pretty Mercury-influenced group of people, and, in, you know, the chart of the podcast is pretty heavy mercury um, we actually chose the Mercury Kazemi with the Gemini Ascended for the chart of starting the podcast. So Mercury, this was this one was a nasty one. Yeah, particular, particularly nasty. Like, I mean, look, Mercury retrogrades are not usually this bad. No, they're really not. Like maybe some minor annoyances, like computer breaks down at the bank or you're late for work or something. I, mean, I was crying like all the time. <laughs> I was not crying all the time, but I did cry and I am not much of a crier. I value crying. Crying is important. I am a big believer in the value of crying, but I don't usually cry. And I cried this month. This was an intense Mercury retrograde. And like, you know, Austin Kopic, another astrologer who I absolutely love, he said once, maybe a couple of times, that, like, no planet is poisoned to Mercury as much as Neptune is. Yeah, I would strongly agree. And this whole fucking Mercury retrograde. We're, we're, we're probably cursing more than usual this episode. FYI. That's okay. This whole fucking Mercury retrograde <laughs> was just all up. Like, Neptune was all up in it. Yeah. In addition to it be all in Pisces. In Pisces, yes. <laughs> the whole fucking thing in Pisces, which is like, I mean, the, we don't have the modern astrologer in the room. It's <laughs> like the sign of Mercury's fall and detriment. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> and it also stationed, um, it stationed retrograde at 29 degrees Pisces, which is just a lot of Pisces. Also the location of a fixed star spelled S-C-H-E-A-T and pronounced shit. <laughs> I am Excellent. Not making this up. No, you can't make stuff like that. <laughs> so like everything was intense and everything was going wrong and everything was Mercury retrogrades are not usually this bad. No, they're really not. Please trust us on that one. <laughs> like, like they're all, really not. You know, like every astrologer I know completely underestimated how bad this Mercury retrograde would be because Mercury retrogrades are usually not this bad. 
And also because, like, Jupiter was so heavily involved. Yeah. And most of the time, for most events, things worked out fine in the end. But not all of them. Yeah, definitely not. It was a lot. Mm -hmm. But here we are. We survived. (laughs) And also, if you want to, like, step away from the astrology for a minute uh, and into just more woo-woo shit, which is, I mean, I'm an angel medium. Yeah. Similar to how, if you think of ley lines as, as places on the earth and or as places on the earth where sort of energy pools and forms clusters and there's like a more concentration of like magic and weirdness and stuff, you can also think of that as like pooling around certain periods in time. Okay. And I think this period of time, like we're recording this on March 31st in the evening. Oh, I should have mentioned that at the start. <laughs> Um, we started the recording at Mar- on March 31st, 2019 at 6.45 p.m. in New York City, New York. So apologies if we don't get this episode out, like, immediately on April 1st. I'm hoping it'll be the second. If not, it'll be first week. Well, I mean, Mercury will be conjunct Neptune again, so, you know, what is as it seems? I <laughs> Well, that's sort of what I'm Hopefully. saying. Is like this entire period where Mercury is stationing direct. It's just an extended period of Mercury conjunct Neptune and Pisces. And I often think of uh, stations, whether retrograde or direct, as sort of digging into a particularly a particular spot, like sort of like a pressure point or like digging a groove. Oh, yeah. And so this sort of Mercury-Neptune thing is digging a groove into this very weird-making... I mean, shit just gets weirder on Mercury-Neptune aspects, and we're having a very extended Mercury-Neptune conjunction. Mm Mm-hmm. I have had so much intense synchronicity and weirdness, and I've had multiple clients, like, hit me up, like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> oh. Yeah, people have been asking me what's going on, too. And, you know, usually you're just like, oh, Mercury's in retrograde, lol. But, like, this time it's like, okay, well, Mercury's in retrograde, but also in this sign, but also conjunct this planet, and it's also eight times worse than normal. And then they all freak out because they think they're all going to be that way. You yeah, explain that they're not all that way. It's almost pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. It's why I'm telling I mean... <sighs> You know, the Mercury retrograde in 2019 I was really worried about was the one over the summer where it stations retrograde conjoined Mars. But I don't think that one's going to be as bad as this one was. I mean, it'll just be different, but like, I feel like less torture, slow torture. It'll be more fast actions, you know. We'll get to that for the July episode. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So both of us have had an intense month. So, <laughs> if you hear at any point, if the, uh, blah, 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 me making weird noises that I neglect to edit out, <laughs> big mood is all I can hope you react with. Big mood, big for mood. sure. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, no, that was March. It's like waking, it's like being asleep the whole time, like. I would space out so hard at work during the day that I, it, 
my early part of the morning and after work would seem like two different days. <laughs> like, like time just seemed to kind of not follow a structure at all. And my memory just <laughs> totally went out the window. <laughs> so I'm waking up. We're all waking up now, which is kind of nice. Slow, slowly. Slowly. I don't, this is, <laughs> yeah, let me, let me take a look at something. But, like, Mercury is still going to be pretty close to Neptune uh, for a lot of the first part of April. Yeah. Like, let me see if I can pull this up for us to get the orb on it. Eventually, we're going to figure out a way to do this so that we have video versions for you guys. But right now, we're, we're such a small team that it's um, yeah. a little bit cost prohibitive. Yeah, so the exact conjunction of Mercury-Neptune is on the second. Um, but the two, but but they're still pretty dang close to each other until I want it. Well, they, they, they start separating about two degrees about uh, April 5th, April 5th or 6th, depending on where you are. Before I forget, the moon is going to be in Pisces. So we've got Venus in Pisces right now. And along with Mercury and Neptune. And so the moon is going to be in Pisces um, for like, I can't see my calendar right now. Uh, basically around for the first few days of April. First like three days of April. So uh, that's just going to add to this massive pile of Pisces energy. And honestly, now that Venus is there, it's making it a lot easier but it's still yeah. a lot of a lot. I mean, Pisces is the infinite expanse of the ocean, you know. Right. Unless you're already down with that, it's a lot to handle. So just yeah, exactly. To the feel strange for the first <laughs> of April. But yes, Mars and Gemini. We touched on that very briefly at the end of last episode. Because Mars went into Gemini, like, a couple hours ago as we were recording this on March 31st. I've probably mentioned this before, but, like, every time Mars is in the first few degrees of whatever sign it's in, I'm like, yay, energy! And then as it right. gets further and further into the sign, I'm just... Done. Just super done. <laughs> well... <Long. laughs> I mean, Mars in Taurus was great because Mars, when Mars first went into Taurus, it was this big burst of energy. But towards the end, it was just a slog. Yeah, slog through molasses. Mars in Gemini is different. Mars in Gemini. Mars goes into Gemini and it's like, oh, here's the energy. <laughs> you know, that Gemini sort of quick flighty thing. Yeah. And then by the time... It, Mars is gonna. It, Mars is gonna be in Gemini until mid-May, until May fifteenth. So all of April, and Mars is gonna be in Gemini. But once Mars starts getting towards the end of Gemini, it's gonna be a hell of a lot of uh, stop the ride. I want to get off. <laughs> At least if you're like me and Margaret, where you're pretty Mars ruled people. Yeah. You know. But go, go ahead. When when Mercury goes into Aries. Mars will be in Gemini. There'll be that fun period of mutual reception. Oh yeah, where everybody's straight chilling with the aggressive. Well, I don't say aggressive, but very hype. There'll be lots of hype. 
<laughs> I mean, Mars's passion, will, drive, forward motion, go, 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 get her done. Rawr. You know, girl. with your with your voice, with your mouth, your mouth holes, your vocal cords. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if the mic picks that up. Flailing, flailing of the hands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And, and Gemini is quick and flighty and sprightly, and there's, there's something pixie-like about Gemini. Like, strong Gemini influence in a chart really makes a person look younger than they actually are. Oh, yeah. Virgo, too, to a lesser extent, but especially Gemini, because that Mercury thing, but especially Gemini. And so it's very active, very fast-paced. And so this Mars energy of this will and drive is just shoom, just shooting <laughs> forward. And that's going to be a big part of the characteristic of April is like, we've got that we've had this big, slow, heavy Pisces pile up, you know, of with just this Mercury Neptune dominating it for um, uh, all of March. And now we're getting into April and it's like, oh, here's my energy again. And I love that that obviously coincides with spring. I don't know how it is in New York, but it's starting to warm up in Milwaukee and you can actually go outside and have sun, <laughs> you know, and like breathe warm air. <laughs> it's kind of nice. Yeah, the past couple of days have been uh, in New York have been much warmer. It's still not warm enough for my tastes, but I'm not <laughs> I'm able to go out with just like my sweater and pants and be fine yeah i don't like the cold i don't <laughs> that's fair <laughs> yeah and mercury goes into aries on on the 17th yeah and is staying there until may 6th when you've got like that mutual reception so mutual reception is basically when one so when two planets are both in the signs the other one rules so Mars is in Gemini. Is Mars is in Gemini, Mercury's sign, and Mercury is going to be in Aries, which is Mars's sign. So it creates a sort of um, like they're working together. They're on each other's team. They're working in tandem. I like the on each other's team. <laughs> Not a word lyric. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a Lord lyric. I'm not a huge Lord fan, although again, although I really like Flicker. But anyway, whereas like there's they're really there's lots of bounce back. It's like Pong. Yeah, exactly. When you've got a, I, I find that when you've got two planets that are in detriment, but are but are in each other's signs, like if you've got Mars and Libra and Venus and Scorpio in a chart, um, it can very often it the they can help each other out. And yeah. Neither, yeah, and and neither one is as bad as it would be on its own. It can also dictate um, some interesting attraction, sinister stuff that may not be totally apparent. Like, I've obviously Mercury and Aries, like you, and I track Mars and Gemini people like crazy. It's just in my day-to-day -day interaction. So, like, people will latch onto that, even if the rest of the chart isn't very compatible at all. Oh, that's interesting. And and I have Mars and Pisces, so that's really not compatible as far as romantic stuff goes, but I can talk to them all day. Right. <laughs> you know, I can just talk all the time. And then I look at the chart, I'm like, Mars and Gemini, again, 
I have a list of like 15 people that that's happened to me in my life. That's funny because because we've both got Mercury and Aries and I don't really draw the Mars and Gemini ones that much. Well, I have a Mercury ruled chart though. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That might make a difference. It might. Yeah. No, I'm trying to see. I know, just, I thought it was the day I discovered that I was like, oh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the mutual reception, it's very much a, a a jigsaw puzzle fitting together. Like, it's very much this sort of yeah. synchronizing or working. I, I, there's a fancier term than, sorry, what was that? They're in cahoots. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're in cahoots. <laughs> exactly. So what you've got for like the second half of April, beginning of May, is Mercury and Mars in cahoots. <laughs> where yes. the communication is aggressive and the aggression is communicative. You know. Title of the episode, Planets in, in Cahoots. Planets in Cahoots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with it. <laughs> It's going to be Rob Hand's next book. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Prop you guys, we should have been comedians, you know? Astrology sure. comedy together at last. <laughs> Take this out. Take, Take it on the road. Yeah. Oh, Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, see, you know, we love you, Nate, but you ground us too much. You gotta let us fly. <laughs> you gotta let us fly free. <laughs> to be fair, we probably would be going through these things in order if Nate was here. That's that's a good point. We love you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Margaret and Arthur Unchained. Ooh. Anyway, Mood. unchained and ungrounded. <laughs> That should be a thing. Unchained and ungrounded. It's like the like the tagline <laughs> for a wrestling match. You thought it, yeah, you thought it was over. You know, it's the, it's the, <laughs> the revenge match. <laughs> oh my god. My the title fight. My roommate has been getting me into watching professional wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> which I appreciate. The the spectacle of it is spectacular. Wait, what the fuck did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. Anyway, back to. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> oh god! I love this podcast. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Do podcasts with your friends who like the same stuff as you. That's the best advice. That I can yes. Give. <laughs> so you got Mercury and Mars in cahoots, which is gonna make communication easier but more aggressive and aggression I don't know, it can be it can be good with a quick wit, but it can also end for like that second half of April, but also like I don't I don't wanna say it would be prone to more impulsive um action because I mean yes that's part of it, but not necessarily in as bad a way as that might sound when you've got Mars involved, just because I think the mutual reception is, is not, it's generally a positive influence. Yeah. 
I've never really experienced it as a bad one unless there's like codependent hinting placements elsewhere. But I mean, with the Mars Venus thing, sometimes more when there are in like Libra and Scorpio or Taurus and Aries as opposed to like the opposite signs. Yeah. Uh, when we've got them like in the signs next to each other, there can be some of it where it's like lesbian bed death in the chart where each side is waiting for the other one to make the first move. Ah, oh, legit. <laughs> um, yeah. Did I say lesbian bed death? I meant lesbian sheep syndrome. They're related. <laughs> but I meant lesbian sheep syndrome. But I am a secondary survivor of lesbian sheep syndrome, so it is a cause that is near and dear to my heart. And I would, if if I were rich, I would start a march of dimes for to to find a cure for lesbian sheep syndrome. <laughs> it it has it has deeply impacted the lives of 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 many of my closest loved ones, and and the it has extended onto me. Anyway, I'm not even kidding. It's a <laughs> <laughs> sympathetic, you know. I have a they have that big Pisces moon heart. Yeah. Hmm. And then a couple days after Mercury goes into Aries, on the same day the sun goes into Taurus, on the 20th, you've got Venus going into Aries. Which, I like Venus in Aries, but it's not an easy placement. I like people with Venus in Aries, but it's, Venus is not necessarily at her most Venusian in Aries. I have Venus in Aries, and I'm not. <laughs> You're not Venusian. Venusian. No, You're not, no. I'm just not really at all. <laughs> right, but like until so for the first part of April until the twentieth, we've got Venus in Pisces. Venus went into Pisces at the at um on March twenty sixth or twenty uh, March twenty sixth. It's the sign of uh, her exaltation. Sign of her exaltation. Because Venus is the planet of love and uh, Pisces is a sign of universal compassion. Venus is the planet that wants to make connections. Pisces doesn't have any boundaries. <laughs> Accurate. Know, <laughs> I love Pisces, but boundaries, not a strong suit. But it works for Venus. Venus can do very well in Pisces. Can do... Um, can be, do all of the Venus stuff very well. Um, there is a thing I've I've found with um, with planets that's an, an exaltation where they can be prone to overdoing it. Where, yeah. Similarly to how the Sun in Aries is exalted, and so all of those solar qualities of "Hey, look at me! I'm a shining star!" and with the Sun in Aries can often be. Uh, braggadocio and <laughs> arrogance and hey everybody look the fuck at me yeah you know <laughs> that, <laughs> that that real ego tripping and I say this as a sun in Aries um, and Venus and Pisces can often be like oh I just want to love everyone what do you mean I can't afford to take care of 27 puppies <laughs> um, I don't believe in money <laughs> <laughs> it always works out but Venus goes into Aries on the same day Sun goes into the Taurus on the 20th and Venus doesn't do Venus stuff 
in a Venusian way in Ares. Venus wants to connect. Ares is ruled by Mars, which wants to separate. I find that uh, particularly women and femmes who have um, Venus and Aries or the other sign of her detriment, Scorpio, tend to be bad at doing the traditional gender role thing. Can attest. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Like, I don't like the traditional gender role thing. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, so there's some real advantages to it, but there's also some real disadvantages to it. It can make you feel alienated having a natural energy that's contrary to a previously established societal structure is quite frustrating. It's yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's they it can be isolating and challenging. I often find that with Venus and Aries, eventually it, it usually works out eventually. I've definitely found people with Venus and Aries who find that perfect, happy, loving, successful relationship. Like you. Also can attest. <laughs> but for most people with Venus in any of her signs she struggles in, Aries, Scorpio, Virgo, until you get to that point, uh, the relationship history is mostly a shit show. Yup. And if it's not a shit show, it's hard to get into a relationship at all. Or there's a long series of relationships that don't work out. Like you'll find, like if you look at a lot of charts of celebrities who have been married like three, four, five times. A lot of Venus and Aries, Scorpio and Virgo, especially Venus and Aries. Marilyn Monroe, for example. Yeah. Also to, you know, something of note, Venus has been traveling, or Uranus has been traveling through Aries for the last seven years. So any of you poor Venus and Aries souls out there, you may have been, your relationships may have spontaneously started and ended without your like awareness really it's like why do these people keep coming in my life <laughs> leaving me immediately i can i can tell you right now it happened to me and i've talked to several of my friends who have the same placement and it, it can wreak havoc on your love life <laughs> well a lot of your friends have been younger like i i don't want to out the person who this is but a friend of mine uh someone i know uh is older in her 50s and has venus and aries and met the love of her life during Uranus's time in Aries. Yay! That's um, good. But it, but that's also like a a massive change. True, that's yeah. true. And and when you're, I feel like the themes of pre-Saturn return folks, Uranus Venus themes of pre-Saturn return folks are okay. So these are all the things you think you want. You don't actually want them, and they won't serve you. So let's just rifle through them real quickly, so you can just get them out of the way. Kind of like how it felt. One thing you're, you're that's making me think of though is like this is so Uranus has Uranus left Aries for the next eighty four years <laughs> at the start of March on the sixth, and this is the first time. Of, and so Venus coming into Aries on April twentieth is the first time you have a benefic entering Aries since then. Okay. So yeah, that's that's of note. Yeah, because Aries may not be good for Venus, but Venus is good for Aries. Right. So there's a way in which whatever house that is, whatever house in your chart has Aries is going to get some balm and some medicine and some kind words and a some loving maybe and very or some loving or some love and care. Some TLC. Some TLC. That's a better way to put it. <laughs> 
It's Mary's is my fifth house. Oh yay! <laughs> um, can get some TLC that to sort of clean up the if tornado. You clean up whatever happened if you had a more difficult time with Uranus transiting through that house. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I find that Venus, um, when Venus is transiting through some of the through some of her less good less, and I say less good very figure very with a lot of qualifications, less with her signs of poor dignity. It's a very good time to have relationship conversations that are that sort of cut through the crap and be like, okay, it's very brave. good for like the DTRs that define the relationship conversations. It's a good time to be brave. Yeah, absolutely. To take, to be bold, to take the initiative, to sort of... Brave in know, love. Brave in love, exactly. Well, and having Mercury move to Aries as well, like I, I mentioned a little bit when we were talking before, but it's like having the defibrillator paddles come out and just bring some life back into you, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of that time with Mercury and Pisces has been very... <laughs> you know, I have literally been, I mean, I'm having it right now of just working to put, putting, having to put a lot of effort into saying, having the words I'm saying make some kind of sense. Yeah. Structuring and, them. Yeah, exactly. And Mercury leaving Pisces and going into Aries is going to be like, oh, here are the fucking words. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Forward! <laughs> <laughs> and that's especially useful for Venus going into Aries with what I'm talking about, of just being... And Venus will be in Aries from uh, April 20th to uh, May 15th, same day Mars leaves Gemini. Um... And that's a very good time for sitting your it's complicated down and being like, what are we? Yeah. You know. Totally. That'll be nice. <sighs> we didn't even talk about what the stuff that I think a lot of astrologers are focusing on for this um, month, which is three planets stationing retrograde. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the biggins, too, so it... It has a wider impact. I don't want to say an impersonal impact because that's not fair. They're the social and the generational plants, but still like. A more collective impact. Yeah, exactly. And the collective consciousness of all of us. Right. Coming very internal. I mean, if we, if we haven't lost any of the astrology newbies by this point, <laughs> uh, outer planet retrogrades are not nearly as big of a deal as inner planet retrogrades. Mercury, Mars, Venus, these planets go retrograde, you notice it, and they tend to behave much more negatively. Yeah. Um, not as big a deal. There's, it's not, I mean, Jupiter retrograde is not a Jupiter that stops acting like a benefic, the way Venus retrograde would. Right. Um, there's actually a really good time for an election when uh, around, I want to say, the 14th of April that a bunch of different astrologers have picked up on and posted about publicly and in a couple of different places. But you've basically got a grand fire trine between the moon in Leo, the sun in Aries, and um, 
Jupiter and Sagittarius. And Jupiter is, goes retrograde on the 10th. So when you've got the sun applying to a trine with Jupiter, Jupiter's retrograde, but it's still Jupiter. Right. You know, I wouldn't make it ruling the ascendant of a chart. I wouldn't, you know, it depends on your perspective. Different people feel different ways about it. Yeah. Like, I know in, like, Hellenistic stuff, I was just talking about this with one of my uh, astrological magic friends, that in Hellenistic tradition, uh, a retrograde is considered a minor affliction, and in medieval it's considered major. Huh, Okay. And it's interesting because astrological magic, is a medi- as it's practiced and understood right now, is primarily from the medieval, and you don't want a retrograde planet ruling the ascendant in that tradition. Right. But sources differ. I would just not be, I, would, I mean, I wouldn't do it for, like, astrological magic, but that's a pretty small group. Getting less small, but a pretty small group. Right. Anyway, what the fuck was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> Jupiter retrograde, not as bad. Jupiter retrograde, yeah, it's not it's not an afflicted Jupiter. It's not as able to be, you know, Daddy J and hand out presents. It's not like Jupiter that goes evil. It, there will be a lot of... It's just important to note because if you're trying to, like, time things and, and do... And sort of, you know, figure out with your astrology, like, hey, let's make Jupiter do Jupiter stuff, it's going to be a little... It's, there's not going to be quite as much uh, juice in that fridge. <laughs> um, not in those lemons, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. well, are, are, I don't, are, lemons are solar. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> you got me there, man. Not as much juice in those grapes. Oh, okay. All right. Touche. <laughs> um, pretty sure grapes are Jupiter. Anyway. <laughs> Jupiter stations direct on August 11th. So it's going to be a few months of this. Uh, one thing to note is that you've got, if that if Jupiter has passed over any of your planets in the past couple months, it's going to go over it again while it's retrograde. True that. So just keep that in mind. And we've also got Pluto and Saturn going retrograde in April as well. I am too rational to explain it in any great way. Um, but basically, when, an, when a planet goes retrograde, especially um, an outer planet, has a lot to do with where that planet is in relation to the sun. Most planets uh, station uh, from Jupiter on out station retrograde roughly around the trine to the sun. Right. So when you've got two outer planets that are moving together this closely, like Saturn and Pluto are, then what's going to happen is they're going to station really close to each other. Right. So this is just a period of time where you've got all of that going on. Saturn stations retrograde on April 29th, and Pluto stations retrograde on April 24th. Anytime Uranus, Neptune, or Pluto stations retrograde, or direct, either way, if it's stationing, you've got like a, about a week on either end where there's just this 
weirdness, like this intense reverberations. Mm-hmm. So like the last couple weeks of April with Pluto stationing, Pluto in particular stationing retrograde are going to be like some earthquaking, shaking underworld type events and feelings going on. So just be conscious of having that in the air. Yeah. I feel like I'm talking too much and not letting you talk enough. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm talking plenty. Alright. <laughs> no, we're we're good. It's I I love this time of year. I was telling my fiance earlier, I was like on my counting on my fingers. I was like, okay, so and so's birthday is the twenty third, then the twenty fourth, then the twenty fifth, then the third, then the ninth. Then the seventeenth, <laughs> then me, then my other my cousin, and then my friend this and that and that. And I'm just like going through because I have so many Aries friends. And right. Taurus, I have a handful of Taurus, way more Aries in my life. Lots of Libra rising pals out there too. But uh I just I love I love this time of year because all my beautiful Aries friends, it's their birthdays. <laughs> so i'm feeling this this energy pretty much when the sun because i have a similar configuration chart configuration to what's going to be in the sky around my birthday oh cool yeah that happens about every eight years yeah so apparently that's this year because are you having a venus return right around the same time as the solar return that is an excellent question i'm gonna check because Uh, are you is your birthday a multiple of eight no okay it happens on the multiple of eight birthdays well i'm gonna look anyway but um because now i'm curious my solar return looks pretty fun though i mean you just had a birthday i just had a birthday you had quite a birthday yeah tell everybody about oh my god what's been happening (laughs) come on now i'm not gonna tell the audience everything that happened fair enough Um, but there's kind of like the big thing you know that happened yeah so uh, the first thing was that I had a tweet, an astrology tweet, which got like, and about Pluto and Scorpio generation. It was a couple of tweets, but like the main one got like two thousand likes. That was amazing, and I love that. And everyone should go look at it because it's so real. <laughs> um, and then I had a dumb fucking joke tweet go super viral. Like I think as of this recording, last time I looked. It was at 18,000 likes and getting close to 5,000 retweets. Wow. Of the just of the apple bottom jeans. <laughs> boots with the jeans. <laughs> apple bottom jeans, boots with the jeans. The whole club was looking at jeans. She hit the jeans. Next thing you jeans. Shorty got jeans, 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 jeans. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I read. It's <laughs> so funny. I, I, I mean, I, I was not awake when I wrote that. I <laughs> crawled out of bed and I was just like, I was still mostly asleep. And I, I, apparently people liked it. But because that tweet went super viral, people were going to my profile and people saw on my profile my pinned tweet, which was back in January. Uh, I reached out to the uh, office of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I probably butchered that pronunciation. I reached out to the office of AOC, and one, I uh, called to um, 
address a policy thing as one of her constituents, and also to ask for her birth time. And uh, over email, one of her staffers provided me with a birth time, and so I posted it on Twitter. I'd, I'd already asked for, like, in the email, I was explicit that I was asking for permission to, sh I was asking for the birth time for the purposes of sharing it with the larger astrological community. So I posted it on Twitter in January, and it's been my pinned tweet. And then, because my fucking Apple Bottom Jeans, Boots with the Jeans, whole club was looking at jeans, tweet went viral, people started noticing this the pinned tweet. And particularly journalists started noticing it. So I had, there was a, there was a couple of, there was a, as of this recording, there's been an article in Allure, there was an article in Elle, neither of those people reached out to me. They coulda. <laughs> um, but the big one was uh, New York Magazine's The Cut uh, reached out to me for an interview. Also interviewed Anne Ortley, who uh, is one of my teachers and is phenomenal and also has a great podcast, Anne Ortley's Weekly Weather. If you want more detailed week-to-week -week updates on the space weather. Anyway, that article got a lot of attention. In theory, I've been interviewed for at least one other thing by now, but that's not published yet, and I don't know if it's going to be published. Fair enough. I hope it is. But if more journalists want to reach out about AOC's birth time, DM me on Twitter. And so I that was my birthday week. That's excellent. We're rolling slowly right now into my birth season. As far as, I mean, that's an interesting side thing, a solar return chart. So every year your son comes back to the degree, exact degree and minute it was at when you were born. That's called your solar return. And you can kind of look at it where it's going to be at this year and kind of take a peek at how your year is going to be. So it's kind of cool we're recording this at the time right between our birthdays. Oh, there <laughs> um, we are, aren't we? It's very convenient for the discussion of solar return stuff. And you can, just a side like little teaching thing, you can take a spontaneous trip to Belize on your solar return and have the effects of the different location imprint on your solar return for the year. That's a little controversial. Very um, much so. Yes. I believe it. I believe that the location you are in for the solar return impacts how your year will go. However, uh, I, I forget when this was, but I was listening to an interview with a uh, relocation astrologer about a year or two ago. I wish I could remember where the interview was or who it was with, but he was arguing that, like, if your whole chart, like, he was basically saying, like, wherever you're living, your chart relocates to that place. Right. So that, you know, you basically have, your, your natal chart functions as your natal chart, but you also have the chart for what it would be like if you were born in the place where you are at any given moment at at the moment you were born and here uh, tell the longer you're there the more effect it has yeah absolutely well it has more time to play out yeah but he was basically arguing that return charts can work the same way where your real your return chart relocates to wherever you are right he he was saying 
there's it would make more sense to relocate a return chart to the place where you live rather than the place you went on vacation for your birthday. Yeah. That's I fair. believe in the vacation for your birthday thing. Yeah. I believe that works, but for the audience's benefit, there's some controversy. Oh yeah, definitely all all of those aspects are worth reading about, learning about, applying to yourself, checking out friends and whatnot. But just as kind of for kicks, I posted, uh, I tweeted two potentials for my solar return location because of where I'm located. I could drive about an hour west and have a totally different solar return. So just for some for some kicks, you know, I, I could have had Saturn conjunct the moon in the 11th or the 12th house. Golly, I don't know which one I would like better. Ah, uh, I'd go with the 12th. Oh, you would, huh? <laughs> I don't know, I'm still thinking about Well, uh, <laughs> Both, both of them like, are actually well, all right. Okay, would you rather take a dump in the bathroom? <laughs> would you, okay, no, wait, wait. Where are you going with this? <laughs> would you rather your drunk guest take a dump on the floor of your bathroom or in the middle of the den? <laughs> I love that analogy. Firstly, because you crack me up. And second, because it's kind of, it's kind of real. <laughs> I had it. It was a funny response. Someone replied with the, with the gif of someone like, laying on the ground looking through a microscope or looking through a magnifying glass and they're like pick the 12th if you want this kind of year <laughs> like that's do i want that kind of year i don't know um, but in this upcoming year i'm getting married so i've been kind of picking at where juno is i'd care more about the condition of the seventh ruler for that well the seventh ruler this Doing is pretty that, okay. Now we're getting a little off topic. Yeah, we're getting very <laughs> off topic, but um, we haven't even talked about lunation cycles yet. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> yes. So let's talk about. <laughs> oh man, let's talk about the lunation cycles. So let's, and then I think we're gonna have to call it an episode. That's excellent. Which this maybe another perfect... half an hour before we get there. Oh man, um. <laughs> On April 5th, we have a new moon in Aries at 15 degrees of Aries. Uh, Margaret, say something about the new moon. Well, <laughs> um, it's going to be at Aries in 15 degrees, which, I mean, like, let's, let's consider all the other things we've been talking about up until now and look at it through the lens the lens of that so obviously we have the chart we can see the chart but april 5th we're still kind of dealing with mercury and neptune we are yeah so mercury. not that that harkens back to that per se but venus is at 11 degrees pisces and a semi-sextile to the new moon situation not a semi-sextile i am not going to call it a semi-sextile at that orb 
Fair enough. It's 11 degrees to 15 for listeners. So what I would say, though, is that the new moon at 15 degrees of Aries is just about close enough, just barely with an orb of a semi-sextile to Neptune. Yep. So it's going to sort of be, and especially because that Neptune Mercury is sort of sneaking around behind energy, which fits the semi-sextile, that it's going to be a sort of sneaking around behind kind of new moon. One thing that's jumping out at me is the square to Saturn. Yes. The next traditional aspect that either that both the sun and the moon are making is a square to Saturn. Right. So that's a fucking heaviness right there. Yeah. It's an Aries, an Aries Capricorn heaviness, which is, I think, one of the quote-unquote oldest stories in the book. You know, the headstrong, young, energetic, angry, angsty, whoever, is battling against the sage, <laughs> you know, the wise sage who's trying to constrict and, you know, do Saturn things. And the student's like, no, I'm going to do whatever I want. And it's usually quite fun <laughs> to see it, to see it play out just from what I've seen. It's the energetic, sugared-up five-year-old and the parent who's forced to set limitations and boundaries. Yeah. I mean, it's age-old. And honestly, generally speaking, Saturn wins this one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But there's also the south node to consider, kind of. The node's at 22. It's linking up to Saturn, which is linking up to... Part of why I'm calling the Saturn-South Node-Pluto triple conjunction the Boneyard, part of why I'm calling it by a special name is that it's working as a unit. Yeah. This is this triple conjunction that is going on for months and months, for most of uh, 2019. And so anything that's happening with Saturn or the South Node, or Pluto, they're working as a unit. Whatever's, a- whatever's aspecting the Boneyard is aspecting the Boneyard. And so there's... And one of the Hellenistic techniques I really, um, I really like and pay a lot of attention to is the idea that the direction an aspect is being made from uh, makes a difference. So... If you can sort of just picture, say you say you were to put that the boneyard with all that Capricorn stuff in the first house, then that would put all the Aries stuff in the fourth house, because Aries right. comes after. Mm-hmm. So that so the Capricorn stuff is in what's called the superior position, which means earlier in zodiacal order to the Aries stuff. And the superior square, particularly when you're dealing with malefics, particularly when you're dealing with Saturn, has the ability to slow things down and, you know, dominate, basically. Yeah. So this Aries new moon that wants to, in this very Aries way, spark things up, get things going, start things off, is having this lead fucking weight put on it by Saturn south node Pluto. It's like a dog that takes off on one of those retractable leashes and then reaches the end. <laughs> Yoink. Yep. <laughs> That's the image that immediately came to mind. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is a new moon of wanting to yeet and finding yourself yoinked. I like it. <laughs> it's a big mood. 
<laughs> oh man <laughs> you're out of control without Nate yes yes <laughs> I love it <laughs> I love it too but I feel like we do not want to do this every episode no this this is a, this is unique this is a unique thing this is our special extra Aries <laughs> extra Mercury this is our special Mercury Neptune bird's eye astrology our, our eyes are still sharp. We're just, you know. But the bird has gotten into some fermented fruit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but I think, I, I think that about sums it up. Wanting to eat and finding yourself yoinked. Uh, yeah, yes, that's perfect. That is, that is this new moon. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pull up the other chart so Margaret and I can look at it. All right. So then we have the full moon on April 19th. And this is like the second the second full moon in Libra. And people like to say that um people are like, "Oh wow, two full moons in the same sign. Like that, that does not happen often." Well, it literally happens once in a blue moon. Ah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> exactly. A blue moon in the sort of contemporary mundane calendar sense is two full moons within the same month, but in an astrological sense, it's two full moons within the same sign. Mm-hmm. It happens sometimes. Full moon right at the start of the sign and another right at the end of the sign. So let me take a look at this guy. Well, it's interesting because... The first full moon in Libra was right at, like, the first degree, and this is at the last degree. And sometimes it's not that extreme, but when you've got... The sun moves particularly fast through Aries, so that... Uh, it brings... Ugh, I don't know, Margaret, what do you want to say about that? Because <laughs> that first last thing is important well, to touch on, but... My, but I The first last thing is, you know, it's always important, but... I always think of it as, like, I think of the last degree as, like, a diving board, where, I don't know, maybe the first degree is where you get the brilliant idea to jump off the high dive, and then as it moves through the degrees, you walk over to it, you climb up to the top, you get to the very edge, you look down, and 29 degrees is when you decide to jump. So, it's kind of a... You know, 29's how I've always the releasing degree. Like we're getting ready to just about go to the next thing. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because when you when I when I see when I see that last degree in somebody's chart, what I usually associate it with is hovering over the edge, uh, spending forever trying to figure out whether or not you're gonna jump off. Perfect. Synchronicities abound. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's like, it's like when you curl your toes over to the edge of the diving board and you're like, am I going to do it or not? 29 degrees is when you jump. So the fact that a full moon. See, that's, see, see, that's what I'm trying to get at. It's not so much that 29 degrees is where you jump. 29 degrees is where you spend a really long time on top of that diving board with your toes curled over the edge sweating (laughs) well it's almost that it's almost that spark of adrenaline like leading up to the jump too like 
it's not a completely dead degree. Like you don't get to the end and you're just so tired that you pass out. It's like, it's like I there's that anxiety anticipation there too. It kind of is in for the last degrees of Taurus and Scorpio. Or fair it point. certainly can be. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. Yeah. As far as Aries though. Well, as far as Aries and Libra, yeah, no, these are cardinal signs. This is very active. And so there's, it's just this sort of, I feel like if we want to look at whatever's been going on in terms of Libra stuff since the last full moon, this bookends it in a particularly noticeable way. Whatever's been going around relationships, justice, aesthetic, beauty, art, connection, uh, fairness, all of these Libra keywords, writing, particularly writing a book, that if anything was sort of just sparked off or picked up on or, you know, just a new phase or a new story starting to enter around the first Libra full moon on March 20th, then you're going to sort of see a completion of that or at least a sort of shifting and um, development of that on the full moon on April 19th. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is that this one is by degree past the boneyard because Pluto's at 23 here. So it's separating. So it's in a nicer position. And Venus is in a uh, double in conjunct quincunx uh, the moon, semi-sextile the sun in this with Venus still in Pisces at this point. So, Venus is kind of helping it out. I feel like Venus is a helpful influence because she's in Pisces and because she's a benefic. Mm -hmm. uh, she's in a position to make things nicer. It's particularly good to have a, you know, a Libra full moon with the ruler in a, uh, with the, it's nice to have a full moon in general with the ruler in a, a benefic in a good position. Right. But like, uh, this one, there's also a little weirdness there. There's also a little like, Venus being a little trickstery here with the inconjuncts to the sun of the moon. Um, Jupiter can witness it too. Uh, Jupiter is like eh, a little less than five degrees away from a sextile to the moon, which is not, which is wide for a sextile, but I do think Jupiter is still in a position to help out. The big thing I'm seeing in terms of uh, a little bit of a a uh, challenge to this is the, that Uranus is right there at two degrees of Taurus. So as soon as the moon leaves Libra and enters Scorpio, she's going to come right up against an opposition with Uranus. Mm -hmm. So there is that sort of sparking electric again with a trickster energy to this moon as well. I want to say the positives outweigh the negatives in terms of the energy. Uh, friends always ask me, like, what is and is not a good moon to charge crystals on? Mm -hmm. I would not put crystals under the new moon on the 5th, but should be absolutely fine for this full moon on the 19th, if that's your thing. Yeah. I would, however, do it, not do it the night of the 19th, but the night before. Because the exact moment of fullness uh, is 7.12 a.m. in New York time. Oh, yeah. So what you want to do 
is probably the it's probably going to be the evening of the 18th it might not be if you're in australia i don't know Can, but while the moon is still in libra when it's approaching fullness because you do not want to charge the, the crystal once that moon goes into scorpio new <laughs> and that's not i'm not just and it's not just to do with charging crystals here it's just like if you're trying to use this full moon for anything for sort of like doing an intentional act of bringing something to fullness or completion do it while the moon is still in libra i would definitely do it the, yeah like the night of the 18th would be good because i think by the time it's nightfall and the moon is visible wherever you are I'm pretty sure, I believe in most places, the moon is already going to already gonna be past the square of the boneyard. Right. Whew. Do you think we covered everything? I think we covered everything and more. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we did. We gave it to you, Arthur, Margaret, Mercury, Aries style. So, oh my God! Yeah. Hopefully, we just didn't tip your head and pour it all into one of your ears. But yeah, <laughs> in cahoots episode. Planets in cahoots. Planets in cahoots. Yeah. <laughs> There'll oh. be a lot of editing. It's going to be a lot of editing, but not as much as <laughs> not as much because a lot of this shit I am leaving in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, right. friends. Well, thanks for hanging on with us. Where should our listeners find us on social media? Oh, thank you. You remembered this time. (laughs) Um, If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am very funny. My at is lip, L-I-P, and bone. I am on Instagram at readingsbyarthur, although I'm not on Instagram as actively as I am on Twitter. If you want to uh, find out more about my readings and book one, I just set up my automatic booking system, which will remove a lot of the hassle for it. Uh, you can go to ArthurLipBonowitz.com. That is A-R-T-H-U-R-L-I-P-P-B-O-N-E-W-I-T-S dot com slash readings. Excellent. I my Twitter game is admittedly not nearly as strong as Arthur's Twitter game, but I'm I'm more of a Facebook ranter. So, <laughs> but my Twitter's astrologically centered, so you can find me at madmarg underscore. So M A D M A R G underscore. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the same handle, uh, madmarg M A D M A R G underscore, and Sky Roots Astrology, all one word, S K Y R O O T S Astrology on instagram admittedly i'm not also i'm not as active on instagram as i am elsewhere on social media but you can find me there and if you want to support the podcast by becoming a patron you can do that at patreon.com slash bird's eye astrology we are bird's eye astrology on every podcast software on every site that we can think to get a handle on we're still putting the website together a little bit but in the meantime, you can follow us at Bird's Eye Astro on Twitter is where we're most active. And I think that covers it. So the next time. Until next time. <laughs>